0: As-salamu alaykum. peace be on you and hello. Welcome again to Faith in Focus, a women's show on the Voice of Islam radio. In Faith in Focus, we explore a variety of topics from all walks of life and discuss them with reference to faith and belief. In today's show, we'll focus on what it means to be a Muslim woman. We'll discuss how Muslim women offer the world examples of empowered and empowering members of society in an era in which many women still struggle to make a mark or rather where women are kept behind by social malaise and stereotypes. Sadly, Muslim-majority countries are time and again put forward as repressive abodes for women. I'd like to first begin with a verse from the Holy Quran which reflects how women are equal in society, and I quote, But whoso does good works, whether male or female, and is a believer, such shall enter heaven and shall not be wronged even as much as the little hollow in the back of a date stone." Chapter four, verse one, two, five. This verse tells us that both men and women are equal in the sight of Allah. Whether man or woman, a believer can equally attain the highest levels of virtue and be rewarded equally. But where the religion of Islam empowers women in many societies around the world, we still see they are oppressed, confined to the four walls of their homes, barred from the same opportunities their male counterparts are so easily in reach of and rendered subalterns in societies which appear deeply out of touch with the tenets of Islam. Look to the Global North and a seemingly progressive society emerges, but look deeper in what transpires is a fallacy in this collective thought. Women in the West may well have dismantled those physical confines, but gender inequality persists, and perhaps it is worse for the association this rendering has with flawed ideas of liberation. As a reading a report by the World Bank, which was published on International Women's Day 2022. It said uh, almost 2.4 billion women around the world are still without an equal footing on economic rights. It did acknowledge that the image it was presented was perhaps not as bleak as it may seem. 23 countries did make strides in reforming their laws in 2021, granted it maintained that more needed to be done if we are to ever meet the goal of a truly just world. Rather interestingly, it highlighted one thing in particular, the Middle East, North Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa were ahead in those reforms. They were found to have made the largest advancement in the Women, Business and Law Index that year. But those places are often shrouded by the thought that they are somehow behind us, that it is almost inconceivable to imagine female flourishment. Separate from the construct of Western civilization, perhaps because we might look at advancement and modernity as linear and forward moving. What is left behind us surely cannot oppress us, and anything that reflects it today surely cannot help us. Yet we find this not to be quite the case. Bangsamoro, a Muslim majority autonomous region in the Philippines, passed a set of laws in April 2019 to the better representation of Muslim women in influential roles. The organic law in the region of the island of Mindanao made it a legal requirement for women to hold positions in its cabinet, its council of elders, as well as in bodies determining governmental policies. It also aimed to create a com- commission for women. It mandated at least one sectoral seat for women in the Bangsamoro parliament. Part of the region's peace process towards building coexistence between its various ethno religious groups to progress to bring female participation in its nation-building exercise has been slow and limited to the elite faction of its society, but the aim to bring Muslim women into the very fabric of its governance may show us how today Islam continues to inspire female flourishment. We'll get to hear this and more in our discussion, but first let's have a listen to the life of one woman in particular and how her role model is reflected today. A report by Kudzia Ahmed.
1: Many stories have been told and retold of the life of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings beyond him. She has been an inspiration for many Muslim women around the world over centuries. Excelling in a patriarchal society, she embodied the true image of a Muslim woman, but she faced challenges not unknown to women even now. Today, her blessed example remains a role model for us in our auxiliary organisation of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Lajna Imaila, as we mark our centenary this year. But who was she and how is her example reflected in this organisation today? Born to Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, the first caliph of Islam, the chief advisor of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who was also the first to accept Islam. And Hazrat Umm RuMan, may Allah be pleased with her, Hazrat Aisha was herself endowed with qualities well beyond many others of a similar age to her. A precocious child who grew up to become a highly learned scholar, stateswoman, educator and warrior. Her character can be summed up in a quote from her nephew, Urva bin Zubair. He stated... In knowledge of the Holy Qur'an, in knowledge of the law of inheritance, in knowledge of lawful and unlawful things, in the science of jurisprudence, in poetry, in medicine, in knowledge of the narrations of Arabia, and in the science of genealogy, I have not seen a greater scholar than Aisha. Elsewhere, a dialogue recorded between the two castes light on how she tied the quest of seeking knowledge with the purpose of serving humankind. Upon inquiring how she acquired knowledge in medicine, she was recorded to have told him, O my nephew, during the latter part of the Holy Prophet's peace and blessings be upon him's life, as he became ill, delegations would come very frequently from different areas. They would suggest various remedies for the Holy Prophet peace and blessings be upon him, and I used to prepare these remedies with my own hands, It was during this period that I developed an interest and skill in medicine. Her high status amongst the wives of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, is related in a narration of his. He stated that half of faith could be learned from her. In another narration he stated, Aisha possesses such superiority over the women, as Tharid, which is among the best foods of Arabia, possesses over other foods. But she also faced hardship. One such incident is that of the great calumny when allegations were made against Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, in an attempt to impede the spread of the empire of Islam. Leveled by the chief of the hypocrites, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, at the time of the ailing health of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the prospect that Hazrat Aisha's father, Hazrat Abu Bakr, may Allah be pleased with him, could soon become the first caliph of Islam, his desire to become leader was also behind this malicious act of his. This is one incident during which Hazrat Aisha demonstrated great resolve and the highest standard of patience and the following Quranic verse was revealed to reassure Muslims that Islam would not be harmed by the allegations. Verily, Those who brought forth the lie are a party from among you. Think it not to be an evil for you. Nay, it is good for you. Chapter 24, verse 12 We will discuss the incident and its significance in some depth in our discussion later on. Having briefly mentioned an empowered and empowering and indeed inspirational role model that Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was let us get some background of an empowered Muslim women's organisation in the here and now. Lajna Imailah was first established in Gadian, India, by the second caliph of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad. May Allah be pleased with him. He did so at the suggestion of his wife, Hazrat Amtul Hay Sahiba, who also became the first secretary of the auxiliary organisation. In the lead up to its founding in an address to an audience of Ahmadi women on 15th of December 1922 his holiness stated the purpose of the organization that would go on to be an integral part of spreading the true teachings of Islam and presenting a pure sense of female empowerment his holiness said and i quote assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa In order to fulfil the aim and objective of the purpose of our creation, the efforts of women are as necessary as that of men. In my opinion, the perception of what Islam expects of women has not dawned upon them, and how their lives should be spent whereby they can, attaining the pleasure of God, become the inheritors of the bounties of Allah Almighty, not only in the hereafter, but in this world as well. Now 100 years old, the organisation which was founded in December 25th 1922 has grown from the 14 members at the time of its formation to tens of thousands around the world, all connected under the aim of spreading knowledge and truth and showing the world that when given the chance, women hold the power to bring about meaningful change
0: to society. Thank you, Katsia. Now let's move on to our discussion. On today's show, I am joined by Kainat Hanif and Sana Hanif. Kainat is a medical student and Sana is a mother of two boys. Is a law graduate currently working as a product specialist at Adobe. Assalamu alaikum to both of you. Wa alaikum Hazrat Aisha may Allah be pleased with her, exemplary role model is often cited when speaking of the rights Islam has afforded to us. Dainat, can we begin with asking you, who was Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her? Uh, yes, of course.
2: Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Ever since I can remember, I have heard many things about the wives of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and the importance in early Islam. Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, for example, was a successful businesswoman. She was known for her fair dealings and piety, So much so that she was given the name Tahira, meaning the pure one. But I have to be honest, since I was young, I have had many misconceptions held by non-Muslims against Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. These misconceptions are mostly related to her age at marriage. Some historians have fallen into the error with regards to her age at the time of wedding. But here are some of the hard facts. Hazard Aisha's married life started two years after the migration to Medina, when her age, Aisha's, may Allah be pleased with her, had approximately reached 15 years of age. Thorough research has established that at the time of the nikah ceremony, of marriage in Mecca, or when she was formally betrothed, Hazrat Aisha was between the age of 10 and 11 years old. But the time she actually left the parents' hope to begin her married life was in Medina, between four to five years after the nikah or official ceremony of marriage. So this puts no doubt that at the time of her wedding, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was 15 years, at least. Now this made me think about what made Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, so special. I would like to mention that in his address to the UK Vakfate no in 2018, And let me explain, Waqfinau is a global scheme or even institution of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to which parents commit their children to be devoted to the service to the community. So it was these young girls and women that His Holiness, Hazrat Mizza Masoor Ahmed, May Allah be his helper, a current khalifa or caliph, explained that it is not just Hazrat Aisha's May Allah be pleased with her status of a wife of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, that warrants respect. She was also a formidable intellectual, a model of woman's status in Islam. There's no doubt there was a lot of wisdom behind the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, marrying Hazard Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her.
0: Thank you for that rounded explanation on who she was, Kainat. Indeed, it wasn't just her status as the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him which makes her a figure whose blessed model we look back at time and again. You mentioned that she was a formidable intellectual. Can you tell us about some of her qualities?
2: Absolutely. Hazard Aisha's mind and memory was extraordinary. Hazard Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was said to have an extraordinary memory, and during his lifetime, the Holy Prophet made peace and blessings of Allah be on him, said, as mentioned earlier, half of the religion of Islam could be learned from her. And this is apparent when one considers that Hazrat Aisha learned the teachings and practices of the Islam firsthand from the Holy Prophet, the peace and blessings of Allah be on him. Did you know that over 2000 ahadith, a term meaning the traditions and sayings of the Holy Prophet, can be attributed to her narrations alone? I mean, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning, let alone be able to learn, understand, and then narrate such large amounts of ahadith. It's very hard to imagine the enormity of such task. The greater part of this information that has become available about the daily life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be on him, is based on the reports of Hazrat Aisha. And we need to remember this is happening in the year, in the years of six hundreds. I mean, sometimes it is hard for women to be recognised for their achievements in today's society, knowing that in many cases, society has made it harder for us to achieve success. And here we are, around 1400 years ago, where a woman performed a matchless service for the faith by educating and training Muslim women, as well as men, in all aspects of teachings of Islam. After the death of the Holy Prophet, peace be on him, she was valued on her accounts of the superior knowledge and understanding of her faith. Whenever Muslims encountered any intellectual difficulty, they would seek advice from Hazrat Aisha, who always succeeded in resolving the difficulty for them. Now coming back to the age of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, Hazrat Aisha married the Prophet, peace be on him, at the age of 15. This meant that she was able to learn from the Holy Prophet peace be on him and impart his knowledge even after his death. She survived the Holy Prophet by about 40 years. This was a great wisdom of marrying her. We as Muslims believe that Hazrat Aisha was the light that remained shining even after the death of the Holy Prophet peace be on him.
0: Your remark about not being able to remember what you had for breakfast this morning is relatable. It's fascinating to learn about the faculties she'd been endowed with. I like that you highlighted that she was a light that remained shining even after the Holy Prophet's peace be upon him death. Like any shining example, she too faced challenges in her time. As we heard in our report, Hazrat Aisha faced trials like others would in their lifetimes. We heard about the incident of the Ifq, or the Great Calumny. During this incident, she demonstrated great resolve and forbearance. Sana, so can you tell us more about this incident? What are the key lessons we can learn from it?
3: The incidents of IFK teaches us many lessons, but let me first briefly explain the background of what exactly happened. An allegation was raised by the hypocrites of Medina against Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, after returning from an expedition. The person at the forefront of this allegation was Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul, who was the leader of the hypocrites of Medina. Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, has explained that before every journey, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, used to bring along one wife. In this particular expedition, it was Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. While on the journey, during the short break, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, went to attend the Call of Nature, I would like to quote an English translation of the tradition of Hazrat Aisha in her own words. She said, when I returned to my camel, I found that my necklace, which was made from black gemstone, had been lost. I went back in search of it and was delayed in a short while. In the meantime, those who had been appointed to lift my litter and place it on the back of the camel arrived, and, uh, assuming that I was in the litter, lifted it and placed it on the camel and marched on with the army. Let me stop here to clarify what it uh, means by litter – The original Arabic term of um, this fixture, hawdaj, it is a a carriage positioned on the back of the camel and used to carry people. I will now go on back to the quote. In any case, when I returned after finding my necklace that had been lost, I returned to the same place where the army was stationed, but I found it empty. I became extremely worried but I thought to myself that I should remain at my place, because when people realised that I had been left behind, they would surely return. Therefore, I sat on my spot and was soon overcome by sleep. Now, it so happened that Safwan bin Mwatel Zakwani was a companion whose duty was to stay behind the army so that fallen items, etc., could be retrieved. When he arrived from behind the army and reached my resting place just before dawn, he found me sleeping there alone. Since he had already seen me prior to the revelation of injunction relevant to Parda, he recognized me immediately and said, To Allah we belong. I was awakened by his voice. Nonetheless, after this he brought forward his camel and made it kneel close to me. I sat on the camel and he walked ahead, holding the bridle of the camel. We finally reached the place where the Muslims' army had set up camp. We reached in the height of noon, and this was the time when everyone had retired to their camps of brief rest. Here I end my quote. So, and now this is the incident of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, has told us. As I said, it is recorded in a tradition, but you can see that the ill-minded and especially those who were hypocrites amongst the Muslims took this incident and slandered accusations against her pure soul.
0: Yes, it sounds like a most unfortunate incident, please give us some more details.
3: Well, it is narrated that Hazrat Aisha did notice that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, did not extend the usual care that he gave when uh, she was ill. Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, even said he would enter and only extend the greetings of peace and inquire about me. That was her own quote. So she knew something was off. She inquired more about these rumours from her mother when she went home. When Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, heard these allegations, she was very upset. And very understandably, these allegations were spreading fast across Medina. Hazrat Aisha may Allah be pleased with her was in a very difficult situation. She had great allegations against her yet it was a challenge of proving her innocence. And this is especially interesting now and in fact this is very you can truly see the unshaken trust Hazrat Aisha may Allah be pleased with her had in God. She said, "By God I find myself in in the situation of the father of Joseph," meaning Prophet Joseph who said, "So now Commonly, patience is good for me, and in this, Allah alone, whose help is to be sought against what you assert. This verse is mentioned in the Holy Quran, chapter 12, verse 19. She completely entrusted God to help her in this situation. How many times can we think of a situation where we just completely left such a challenging situation to the will of Allah? It is a remarkable. Shortly after she said this, God sent a uh, revelation in form of a verse of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. It can be found in chapter twenty-four, verse twelve. The first line of the verse stated, and I quote: "Verily, those who brought forth the lie are a party from among you." And this is how Hazrat Aisha's innocence was proven by divine revelation. What a beautiful teaching this incident brings forth! We can learn about the pure and innocent character of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. And importantly, the conviction of faith that Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, had is faith-inspiring. It takes great strength to leave everything on Allah. Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, was so convinced that Allah would help her in this situation that she physically moved to one side and as she knew Allah would help her, this is how confident she was in Allah's help. Think about that. Having so much faith in Allah, especially after all these allegations are going around, can truly only come from someone who knows that the ultimate justice and help can only come from one being, and that is Allah. And how beautifully did Allah respond to her conviction? He revealed a verse of the Holy Quran to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Verily, those who brought forth the lie are a party from among you. Again. We can learn so much from this verse that unfortunately there are hypocrites who bring distress. These people can, in fact, come from where it is expected the least. I find this is such an insightful incident. We learn about how easy it was to raise uh, to raise allegation against women. We learn that betrayal can take place in any setting, and most importantly we learn about the unshakable trust that Hazrat Aisha may Allah be pleased with her had in Allah. How beautiful.
0: I agree with you, Sana. I think many of us will agree that the resolve Hazrat Aisha may Allah be pleased with her showed in the face of adversity really is a lesson for us in keeping steadfast in our faith and having the unwavering belief that life's challenges are only fleeting. What matters most is keeping trust in God. She set a truly beautiful example for us to follow. That blessed example of hers is a constant for us, and the emergence of another group of women, a hundred years ago in a small part of India, is testament to us of how, to this day and age, those teachings and that role model are far, far from lost on us. Lajmiya, the women's auxiliary organization within the Muslim community, was founded on December twenty fifth, nineteen twenty two, in Kadiana, a town in present day India. Since its inception 100 years ago from the 14 members it had at its formation it has grown to hundreds of thousands across the globe within it, its various departments that have emerged are a demonstration of how women are indeed an integral part of a prosperous society but, but at the time of its founding women were not afforded the rights and freedoms others enjoyed kainath if i can turn to you how did its founding help i mean Let us look at the
2: history of the UK, where women's political rights were brought into general political consciousness by the suffragettes, a women-only activist group founded by Emmeline Pankhurst in 1903. In fact, the two world wars created conditions most favourable to social, political and economic change in favour of women. But this was achieved by propaganda and posters inspiring women to leave their traditional roles. Yet, in a small village in India, a different revolution had started in 1922. A quieter revolution, a most meaningful one. A movement which empowered women to not leave their traditional roles, but to practice their rights in a manner where mirroring the acts of men does not mean freedom. This revolution recognised the uniqueness of women and the contribution they had made to further a nation, as a woman in their own right. In my view, that is what feminism is. I personally feel Lajna Imaila has achieved something much deeper than just bringing together a community of women. And here's why. Lajna Imaila was not a pre-war project in order to empower women and in order to keep economic and social stability in the land. Lajna did not have a financial budget, a trajectory, based on social pressures. It gave women the rights that Islam had given them since the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. And this was not led by men, nor was there any involvement of men in the running and organisation of this auxiliary. Women themselves raised funds and led with action, all without mimicking or feeling the need to act like men. As a Lajna, we do not achieve equality by proving that a man's job can be done by a woman. We as women are free to be our own have our own achievements. And this is girl power, surrounded by successful women from all walks of life. We don't need to compare to the achievements of men in order to rate our success. We define our own success. A lejna is successful when she raises her two young children as a stay-at-home mum, as much as a lejna who's a top lawyer working in the city. Women bear children, raise them, and nurture them, Yet society now needs women to rise up to a man in order to be equal. We recognize the sacrifices it requires to be a woman in this society for any job. And this is what true freedom is, recognizing achievements in all settings. And there's also a strange bond between what essentially are strangers. I'm not sure if you have ever experienced this, but when I'm on the streets or in the shops and see someone who wears a hijab, I try to see if I know her and maybe recognize a familiar face or even see if she's, you know, an Ahmadi Muslim. And somehow you can tell that someone is. And it's so strange, and I often find myself acknowledging or smiling at the other Lajna. It's a very warm feeling or a safe feeling. No matter where it takes place, you feel that connection. And you automatically know that you and this other Lajna have so much in common, even if we have never met before. It's like an unspoken understanding or love that instantly is shared. And this is what Lajna and Myla is, a much deeper bond, something that does not need words or posters or even propaganda. Every Lajna is a living example of success and freedom. Our achievements reflect freedom. And this entitlement, our right that we practice every single day.
0: I agree that looking at the intentions behind that empowerment is what makes it so meaningful. And valuing women for who we are and what we can do, not what we cannot, is what real empowerment is. Turning to the contributions that Lajna have made, so now how have Lajna fulfilled their role in making efforts for the spread of Islam over the years? The founding
3: of Lajna a hundred years ago, as you say, in a small town in India, was born of the visionary mindset of the second khalif of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. So a century ago, established of Lajna empowered empower, Ahmadi Muslim women in many remarkable ways, foremost of which was acquiring knowledge and standing up for themselves. Lajna has also served the wider com- uh, society in whichever part of the world it is. I will just take one aspect. That of tabligh, which means conveying the message of Islam to others. I think Lajna in every profession and education is doing some sort of silent tabligh and it it is some form of uh, the other conveying the message of Islam. Lajna members at work and in education are displaying that Muslim women can work and can seek education. The primary purpose of tabligh is to convey the true message of Islam and Ahmadiyyat to others. I serve as a tabligh secretary with, uh, within my local branch of Lajna and we run various bookstores or interfaith programs or programs of activities, events and initiatives which seek to reach out to wider community, strengthen interfaith relations and introduce the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and lajna i The regular meetups we hold, be it coffee morning or one-to-one, prom- promote dialogues and discussions and extend the hand of friendship. Our main aim is to build bridges and dispel any misconceptions and unite communities in peace. It is to highlight to others the values and teachings of true Islam.
0: Thank you, Kainath and Sana. Since the founding of Lajna a century ago, we can see what an integral part it has become in spreading the true teachings of Islam and in showing how women can both be themselves while being active and meaningful members of society. We'll talk more about this shortly. We'll now take a short break. Please stay tuned. You are listening to Faith in Focus.
2: In his magnum opus, Brahine Ahmadiyya, part 5, the promised Messiah, peace beyond him, writes, By only observing the exceedingly intelligent design
0: of this universe and the culmination of its structure into the highest perfection and stability, sound reason can comprehend the necessity of the fact
2: that there ought to be some creator of these incomparable creations.
3: You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet, 24 hours a day.
0: Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome back to Faith and Focus, where we're discussing how Muslim women today can learn from the example of Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her. Islam has always been at the forefront of liberation from its outset, Earlier, Guynard gave us a brief but very thorough comparison on how the feminism we might see today in the world, especially living in the West, but certainly not confined to it. A careful look at it reveals to us that the kind of liberation, to a great extent, is an erasure of womanhood. But we need not erase our identity in an attempt to be emancipated. That certainly isn't what freedom even means. Instead, the Holy Quran is replete with teachings on that. Sana, if I can come back to you, what does Islam say about women's freedoms?
3: Freedom is a relative term and it has differing meanings depending on the culture you come from, the social norms of where in the world you live. The Western concept of freedom, in spite of being popular, is not the one-size-fits-all that is considered. Islam grants women their rights, honours and empowers them, raises their status, so freedom for Muslim women, as in privilege, in light of all this, is significant. But freedom as a liberation, well, contrary to the widespread misconception, Muslim women do not need liberation from tradition and religion. Islam stresses that education for man and woman is of equal importance and the holy prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him. Laid down the education is compulsory for both. Islam elevates the spiritual status of women. Yes, it gives women the freedom as it liberates women to have the right to divorce. Similarly, rights of women's inheritance are enshrined in Islamic law. All this well was given to women in the 7th century. If we compare the rights to education, inheritance divorce etc to the uh, let's say UK for example the legislation for divorce in UK was first implemented in 1857 with the matrimonial causes act made women able to obtain divorce while muslim women were given these in the 7th century then we have the right to education University of London became the first university in the UK in 1878 to admit women on fully terms to men on faculties except medicine. Here you can see those rights started all after 1850, where Islam had given those rights to women 1400 years ago. In no faith women were given the economic freedom such as given by Islam, Islam makes it clear that woman is entitled to possess wealth and property of her own, whether it is inherited or earned, and has full rights over it. The social status of women changed dramatically with the advent of Islam. Society was given clear guidance by the Holy Quran and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be on him, for the treatment of women in their role as daughter, wife and mother. Islam changed the role of wife from being little more than a servant to being an equal with her husband on all levels. The Holy Quran makes it clear that in marriage women have rights similarly to men. In her role as mother, Muslim woman achieves her highest social status because the mother is revered in Islam unlike any other individual.
0: Thanks for that Sana. We've seen that advances are being made to further solidify the rights of women, but like you said, so many of those were made very recently. Yet, we often find that those same champions of female empowerment claim to have the upper hand and try to dictate on what empowerment entails. They also question and object to what they might perceive as not aligning with their idea of freedom. A case on point may well be objections to wearing of the hijab by Muslim women. Sana, let me come back to you. Why has barda these days become associated? With the impression of women,
3: the teachings of Islam concerning hijab and segregations of the sexes is probably by the most confusing and difficult to accept for the Western society. This is because of the widespread and erroneous notion that observing hijab is a heavy restriction imposed on Muslim women. This is further compounded by negative portrayal of Muslim women in media and wrongful treatment of women in some Muslim countries. It is a very sad reflection on 21st century developed world that it cannot bring itself to understand that by observing the hijab, Muslim women are exercising the basic human right.
0: You're right that there's so many misconceptions around it. It's important to dispel those myths and perhaps what better way to do that than to enlighten others on why observing the hijab isn't a hindrance. Rather, it can really help us overcome obstacles that come our way. Can you explain the essence of burqa and how it can actually give women more freedom?
3: Um, as a hijab-wearing uh, observing Muslim, I feel that it is a means of protecting women and providing them with freedom from many social ills. Islam provides guidance not only for individuals, but also lays down rules for the good for all society. In this case, observance of hijab guards the moral condition of society. Muslim women not only have responsibilities as wife, mother and daughter, they also share with men the responsibility of upholding the moral standard of society. The Holy Quran has laid down that the way that men and women are to achieve that goal is by observing modesty, of which hijab is a symbol as well as an expression. And we have to understand that the commandment to observe modesty was first revealed in the Holy Quran for men, that is before women, it says in the Holy Quran, I quote, Say to the believing man that they restrain their eyes and guard their private parts. That is purer for them. Surely Allah is well aware of what they do. Chapter 24, verse 31. In this verse, following the verse I have quoted that goes on to address women, to restrain their eyes and to cover themselves. From these verses, it is made clear that both men and women are to conduct themselves with modesty and propriety at all times, and especially when in each other's presence. This teaching is based on the fact that Islam recognizes that prevention is the better part of cure. So segregation of the sexes is prescribed so that situations which cannot be controlled afterwards are not allowed to develop in the first place. In this way, erosion of moral values can be prevented and society is safeguarded from so many social problems. As a Muslim woman, I dress modestly, cover my head and wear outer garment. However, we must understand that this is the physical covering. It is the first step, developing hijab. The true and full observance of hijab is achieved when modesty extends to man and woman's mind and heart. This means that one should veil or shield his, her mind and heart from impure and immoral thoughts. You may have noticed that most Muslim women who follow the practice of hijab appear to be more relaxed and at ease with themselves. This is because um, Islam has reduced the importance of physical appearance as a mark of self-esteem. A Muslim woman is free to develop herself, other talents, and does not have to rely on the physical beauty to achieve what she wants. At the same time, when a woman practices hijab in the true manner, she fulfills her responsibility to society and gains satisfaction in the knowledge that she is able to gain nearness to Allah.
0: It does indeed help with being more at ease with oneself. But you highlighted an important point here, that outward modesty needs to be in harmony with one's mindset. That needs to be pure and guarded for the hijab to fulfill its purpose. But surely that isn't an easy task. Gainard, can you share your experience as a woman who observed the hijab? Has it ever hindered you in public life? How about your experience? You see, though society has created this image where
2: covering may seem oppressive or even a hindrance to success, in my experience, the hijab has never really publicly caused a problem. I feel respected and empowered. I'm not an object to society, so would not like to present myself like that either. What is interesting is that as a medical student, we have to abide by a very strict dress code, which reflects on our professionalism, especially in front of patients at various settings. This dress code asks us to be reasonably covered and not expose ourselves too much, and certainly not so much that we were ever distracting or even worse, disrespecting the patient. And this is significant because even though you attend the doctors for medical advice, body language and appearance, subconsciously actually matters a lot. A well-dressed, modest doctor will attain trust of the patient as they look more professional and therefore reflect knowledge that can be entrusted. And you asked about hindrance with my hijab. Well, ironically, any concerns or doubts I had came from the media itself. I watched many debates of ex Muslims who claimed to be coming from an abusive culture around the Hijab. As a young woman growing up in Britain, this made me think. It was something I had never experienced or witnessed around me. Yet here they were, these passionate women, telling the world how this piece of cloth dictated the way their life was abused. I was certainly confused by this narrative. When I decided to wear the hijab at the age of 13, I started my own journey. I found that mm, some of my peers were curious and some, you know, just still saw me as the same girl they knew me as before. It was a natural step for me and soon found that the beauty of the hijab is the journey. And yes, of course, it is about the modesty and covering oneself up. With that, a lot of people forget that your personality becomes you. Your personality becomes what people are able to judge and nothing else. And you start learning more about yourself and the way you behave. You yourself become more focused on what matters and you stop focusing on these superficial needs to please people. And this took time, of course. There was a lot of self doubt when listening to these stories of these angry women who were apparently standing up for me. After several years of teenage life I eventually found peace in my identity. I found the confidence to not only believe but represent my hijab.
0: Hearing your experiences as a work, working Muslim woman who is able to observe the hijab despite a strict dress code will be both inspiring and encouraging to younger girls in particular. Staying on that point Gainath how can a modern Muslim woman following the footsteps of and demonstrate that Islam gives women more rights than the West ever did. Hazrat Aisha
2: was a strong woman. In a time where women were buried to be born, and seen as nothing more than property, Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with us, stood up and did not hesitate to take up a huge responsibility that was laid upon her at the age of 15. She was the wife of the Prophet of God, that in itself is something that requires immense mental and spiritual stability as well as maturity. In our Ahmadi Muslim community, as you know, a girl transitions from the younger girl's branch of the auxiliary to become a Lajna at the age of 15. And we see that from this age, girls attain maturity and can start building important skill sets. And confidence is key. it Aisha demonstrated that she was not afraid of public speaking whether it was to women or men. This is something that Legenda encouraged to do all the time by giving presentations to local or regional groups on various topics. And I'm sure you two also had similar experience, where from a young age, older sisters slowly allowed you to take part in presentations and you know, doing the research for meetings and stuff. And it is rare for young girls to be given such an opportunity So it's a privilege in our Ahmadiyya Muslim community to have something that gives life skills from such a young age. Hazrat Aisha was also a scholar. Hazrat Abu Huraira relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, said to him, and I quote, Whoever takes a path upon which to obtain knowledge, Allah makes the path to paradise easy for them. In Islam, both men and women are encouraged to seek knowledge. And there's so much importance placed on this that it even leads to paradise. The tradition or hadith doesn't mention what type of knowledge, and therefore doesn't limit this knowledge just to Islamic knowledge. In fact, the Holy Quran states in chapter 88, verse 17 to 20, and I quote Do they not then look at the camel, how it was created, and at the heaven, how it was raised high, and at the mountains, how they were firmly rooted? and the earth, how it is spread out, End quote. So we see here that Muslims are encouraged to study the earth around them and think about the science behind everything. There are many, many other verses like this in the Holy Quran. Science and philosophy are encouraged throughout the Holy Quran. Therefore, to be like Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, we are encouraged to learn and teach. Again, we can see Lejna Maila taking lead in this as well. We have departments encouraging education in both a spiritual as well as academic nature. We now also have an academy dedicated to religious teachings of Gauss, where the teaching is done by women scholars. And incidentally, the academy is named after none other than Hazrat Aisha. With current workplace inequalities, we can see that having an institution led by women for women Eliminates the possibility of such. In which other institution can you feel so empowered by teaching and learning so freely? Now this is interesting because every year during the Jalsa Salana, which is a three-day annual convention of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, I notice how incredibly high achieving our girls and women are. We are so blessed to have the academic achievements being acknowledged by His Holiness by receiving a prize. And every year, the list of girls achieving the top marks at top university just gets longer and longer. It is incredible to see how important this part of the convention is. How lucky are we to belong to a community that instills strength and empowers us to be like Hazrat Aisha, may Allah be pleased with her, in today's age?
0: It's at seven years old that girls begin to actively engage in those activities within the setup of the auxiliary organisation for girls aged seven to fifteen called Nasiratullah Madeeah. And girls even younger might accompany their mums to listen to events to get a feel of what it's like. That we're encouraged to partake in them from such a young age, competing in events that range from speeches, recitations of the Holy Quran, sports, bake sales, and so much more, is something that I don't think I've reflected on all that much. But that's perhaps because of how normalised it is for us. We don't see any contradiction in partaking in those activities as girls and women, because there isn't any in the first place. We aren't just taught what we can do, but also get to live it. Thank you both, Gainath and Sana, for such an insightful discussion. We will now listen to our final segment, Moments for Thought, by Gudzi Ahmed.
1: Where Western notions of feminism have distorted many people's understanding of what empowerment in its truest essence means, We only need to remember that Islam emancipated women from flawed social constructs 1400 years ago. Amongst the sublime qualities of the founder of Islam, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was that he was the liberator of women. In pre-Islamic Arabia, women were not afforded the rights and freedoms that became a necessary part of Islamic teachings at its advent. In his book titled Muhammad, the Liberator of Women, the third caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community writes that prior to Islam, women were treated in a very unjust manner. Burdened with the role of both looking after their family with no expectation of reward and oftentimes being the sole breadwinner with no right over their earnings, bartered, abandoned and considered unworthy of being the recipients of blessings, The status of women was so shallow as to dehumanise them. It was Islam that lifted the status of women as it became mandatory for women to have a right over their own earnings. Women were to have shares over property and the pursuit of education became equally as important for women as it was for men. In the person of Hazrat Khadija, may Allah be pleased with her, the first wife of the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, we see an example of a highly successful businesswoman. The celebrated saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, or Hadith, paradise lies under the feet of mothers, and one of many verses from the Holy Qur'an, which reads, and I quote, But whoso does good works, whether male or female, and is a believer, such shall enter heaven and shall not be wronged even as much as a little hollow in the back of a date stone. Chapter 4, verse 125 Both convey to us the value that Islam gives to women. For an offspring to pass through the gates of paradise, their respect for their mother is necessary, and doing of a good deed, whether by a man or woman, will lead to an equal reward. I would like to end on a quote by His Holiness Mirza Masroor Ahmad. May Allah be his helper, the fifth caliph of the worldwide Ahmadi Muslim community. Any rights granted to women in recent times have been the result of necessity, rather than any deep desire for progress, and also as a means for the men to fulfil their own selfish desires. This is something that history has proven time and again. Furthermore, it is only in recent times that non-Muslim women have realised that they too had rights. Due to the fact that they were previously deprived and their religions had not protected them, such women have campaigned for those things that are considered rights in the eyes of the world. Yet, from the very outset, Islam established the rights of women based upon their role in society and keeping the best interests at heart. Certainly, the rights afforded by Islam are based on wisdom and human nature.
0: Thank you, Kudzia. This brings us to the end of our show. I'd like to thank our two studio guests, Kainat Hanif and Sana Hanif. You've been listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. This is Faith in Focus, produced by Mrs. Sharmine Butt. as Alaikum and peace be on you.